So I think the biggest challenge we have is how do you scale that? How can you do that? How can you provide these people the things that they really do need, but do in a cost-effective way, right? So organizations who can figure that out and figure it out quickest are going to be the ones, in my opinion, that will be successful in a lot of different areas of their business, but even more so in how they can recruit and retain top talent. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for joining Jeremy and I in another episode of Navigate's People First podcast. We are excited that you are here with us. I also want to say thank you to everyone uh, for all the wonderful support that you've given our, our first uh, podcasts. And uh, I just want to say I didn't know there were podcast junkies out there. <laughs> um, and we've heard from a lot of you, which is actually really fun. So from our friends in Texas and New York and California and Missouri, like everyone, thank you so much. Continue to give us suggestions. We're, we're listening to you. Our lineup for future guests are growing. Uh, so thank you. So each episode, we start out with uh, talking about one of our family values, Jay. And this month, our family value that we're really working on is embracing change and being efficient um, and effective. A lot of change in the well-being space, in the healthcare space. When we think about embracing change in our industry, where does your head go? positive, negative, what do you, where do you feel that has gone when it comes to embracing change in our industry? Uh, I go positive. I think uh, the changes we've seen, particularly in a post-COVID world, introduced us to a lot of challenges that a lot of organizations rose to that challenge in, in some really interesting ways. The evolution of the well-being space, I think it has accelerated a direction that it was going already and just kicked it into high gear. So the focus of employee well-being has largely been, and rightfully so, on physical activity and nutrition, on taking care of the body, preventive medicine. But over the years, we've seen an, a gradual evolution to an understanding of the employee from a holistic standpoint and recognizing that while the numbers are important, and that is the bedrock of what we're doing here, that we also need to take, take into consideration how we're treating our people. And are they being having the opportunities to uh, find services and benefits that are right for them, not just, you know, get out there and get healthy, uh, get exercise and get moving, eating right. So I'm encouraged by the advancement of the evolution of a more holistic approach to well-being. My head goes to not having to answer the question, is this mission critical for our company to have? Again, pre-COVID, it was, is this mission critical? And you're like, yes, it is you know, embracing a, a culture of care around your people and letting them know that you care about them because that's going to build loyalty, that's going to build engagement, all those different things. After COVID, obviously, and now we're seeing where mission criticality isn't, it's like cross it off. We know it has to be there. Um, and I would say that, you know, accepting change is an integral part of life. And as we sit there and see how we're evolving as a company, We've been, you know, very mindful of um, being open and listening to our clients, our consultants, our members, and there's a willingness to do something different. Uh, I think there's a lot of same, same out there and incorporating principles you navigate you into the, into the programming, our total health. But I guess for me, it's always thinking about how can we get here and listen and get more suggestions around improvement. And that also leads to, to me on the efficiency and be efficient and be effective because 
I think health and well-being, we, we've got more variables now in the equation of how we're engaging and why we can bring value on investment. It's productivity, it's retention, it's, it's going out recruiting people. You've got to have this to get those folks. Yeah. yeah. I think well-being can be the center of all those efforts that you know, we can drive people effectively to medical benefits. We can drive them to uh, employee engagement experiences. We can drive them to mentorship and career development resources. We can drive them to mental health resources. And that at the core of that can be the communication, programming, and incentive structure that a well-being program offers. Yeah. And I, I tell you, when we think about today's episode, uh, we're excited to explore how you can deliver different programming that's impactful for that individual person, that personalization, no matter where they're at in the well-being journey. And I think great things happen when you put people first. And one of the, the fun things about our industry is we get, we get to work with different philosophies, different people. And Jeremy and I are excited to, um, to have and welcome our, our next guest in the podcast. Our friend Todd Halasny from Lockton is um, a longtime partner, consultant to us when it comes to our product and how we're engaging folks and how we've evolved at Navigate. Todd is the Senior Vice President Director of Health Risk Solutions at Lockton Companies. He's also an expert um, when it comes to client well-being solutions, making real impact, whether it be in transportation, public and labor. He's also an avid runner of like anything 50 plus, and we're going to get into that. Um, he climbs a lot of things too, and is based out of the great city of, of Kansas City, um, Todd, welcome, my friend. Really appreciate you being here. Glad to be here. I, I really like the uh, intro as well. And I think one of the reasons why we've had such a good relationship over the years is that individually, as well as our companies, share a lot of the same values. So some of the introduction uh, aspect that you guys shared was spot on with some of the things that we think about at Locked and really having an open mindset versus a fixed mindset. You know, the things are going to change and you can either allow change to happen to you or you can be a catalyst for change. Um, and I think we both agree that we would prefer to be the catalyst for change um, and helping steer whether that's ourselves and our teams or the clients that we work with in a direction that we think is is, is appropriate. Um, and sometimes that means we, we nudge them, you yeah. know, from time to time, maybe a little bit out of their comfort zone. But I think that that's needed in order to hopefully help create a healthier uh, society. And as a vendor, you've nudged us. Yeah. And that's good. That we, we, that, we nudge that's, each other. That's embracing change, right? And I, I want to get to this first. So Talk to me about ultra marathoning. <laughs> uh-huh. Let's go there. I want to. I want to get people to get in your mindset first. Like, talk to me about ultra marathoning. We'll, we'll get to the wellness stuff. Well, I think there's actually probably a pretty strong correlation that you know when you run races that are in excess of anything technically longer than a marathon is considered an ultra marathon. But you know, I would say the most common distance is either 100k or 100 kilometers or 100. 100 kilometers or 100 miles, you know, and you have to really have an open mindset to that, that things are not going to go according to plan. You can have bad days or your nutrition's off and you just have to kind of embrace what's going on at, at the moment and know that you can rely on your training and things like that or your values to help get you through that. So I think probably the hardest part is actually training. You know, um, and some it sounds lonely, some lonely time. Yeah, but I think, you know, those individuals who are really good at running ultra marathons, no different than life, put themselves in some very challenging situations during practice. Yeah. So that when it comes game time, you know, that uncomfortable doesn't seem quite as uncomfortable. So it sounds um, like HR a little bit, too. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, I mean, I think that's the key is trying to figure out how to make yourself in everything you do, whether that's, you know, running marathons or in work or raising your kids is, you know, what's that fine line between, you know, being uncomfortable and, and, uh, have experiencing pain or legitimate things. So how many right? of these so, things have you done? Ultra marathons? Ultras. I've lost count to be honest with you. Like more than nice. 20. Yeah. Okay. I would say probably somewhere between 40 and 50. You got something coming up here pretty soon or like that you're training for now? Yeah. So there's a uh, race in Northern Wyoming in the Bighorn Mountains called the Bighorn 100. So it's a pretty legit trail race. So a lot, in addition, I guess you could say to running ultra marathons, there's kind of the ultra trail scene. So in addition to running long distances, you do those through the mountains. Um, so this one is, uh, has quickly become one of my favorite races. It's a, uh, a great race in and of itself, but it's also a qualifier for the great race called Western States, which is out in California each year. And then there's also a race called Hard Rock in Colorado. And both of those races, as it, it sounds crazy, but you actually have to qualify for them and then win a lottery to get in. So Bighorn is, is a qualifying race to get into one of those other races. And I've been fortunate enough to run Western States three times and still trying to get into hard rock. So nice. So you got to be pretty uh, efficient and effective when you're training for that and your daily race. I mean, in your embracing change throughout the entire course of that, yeah. that race. Yeah. For you, sure. know, and I, you know, I think a lot of individuals sometimes will have a very rigid training program, right? And out of necessity, I mean, in addition to being an executive at Lockton, I have a family, a great family and, and three teenage kids, right? So my training schedule is extremely uh, variable um, and it really comes third to, you know, my family and my work obligations, which means there's times I get off of planes at, you know, midnight or whatever, and I'm up running at three, four o'clock in the morning because that's the only time to get it done, right? So yes. you have to be very flexible. You also have to think about the end game, right? That there's no way to really catch up in ultra marathon training. It's not like you can just take days off and show up at the start line and think that you're going to magically perform you have to be pretty committed to it and it's much more um strategic maybe in nature than uh shorter races and that's not anything against those shorter races it's just there can be a lot that goes wrong you know over a course of 20 to 24 hours of running nonstop. so you know i said it earlier it's kind of like hr and it really is i mean you're you're dealing with certain things you're not taking the day off you're having to be efficient you, we're not seeing you know, huge numbers of HR budgets increase, but we're seeing where you've got to have that discipline. You've got to have those experiences. And, you know, and you guys at, at Locked in, in, I believe it was fourth quarter of 2022, you guys announced kind of an evolution in your business as it came to the employee benefits practice. And that became Locked in People Solutions. Maybe dig into that for us a little bit and uh, help us understand like that evolution and, and where that came from. Yeah, to your point, you know, most uh, folks that I interact with every single day, particularly on the HR side of things, is I think everybody goes into a plan for their day of what they're going to try to accomplish, right? And a lot of times that would hopefully be maybe some strategic initiatives, but every HR person I know gets a call at least one time a day, you know, with some something that's on fire that needs to be fixed. And uh, a lot of times we found that uh, our clients were calling us maybe outside of the employee benefits space uh, or the major medical benefits side of things, which we've historically played in. And, you know, over time, I think we realized that our mindset and the people that we hire that are ultimately trying to solve problems for our clients to help them grow their overall business, that rebranding to people solutions would be a much better approach because we're solving for 
a lot of problems within the organization, right? And we want to be seen as that valued advisor for them in a lot of different areas. Because at the end of the day, we, we do truly care about our clients and we want to make their businesses better. And we shouldn't really be confined to just thinking about core health and welfare benefits, right? So a lot of those things we've learned and cut our teeth on there, you know, uh, those carry over into a lot of other aspects of, of the business. So, Jay, you and I, when we think about aligning corporate culture with the structure and putting together compelling benefit packages, what have you seen? We have our own ecosystem. We have our own things that navigate. But what have you seen when it comes to bringing those positive employee experiences that we talked about earlier, kind of the embracing change in the last couple of years? Obviously, mental health has been top of mind for, for everybody. And, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Absolutely. absolutely. I think that's everybody's got to have some sort of way to take advantage of the benefits that are already there or start looking at other benefits to, to help augment that. But what I've been seeing most recently on top of that is a focus on, it's kind of hard to, to explain in like a benefit, but a focus on your people, a focus on your culture. And I hear, you know, I hear that, that word a lot, focus on culture. But what, is, what does it really mean? It means sort of understanding individual people, understanding their personality, understanding what motivates them, training our people to respect each other, to have some empathy, training our managers to, to think differently that, yeah, we've got to get a result out of that. But the best way to get those results, those business results, is to focus on the people and let them do what they need to do first. And perhaps so listen to them. A little bit of listening <laughs> goes, a, goes an awful long way. So mental health isn't going anywhere. Physical health isn't going anywhere. But I think the, the latest trend that everybody should be paying attention to is a focus on the person, the individual. And that individual... And Todd, I think this is where the three of us, we, we could probably talk for an hour on this. But we think about well-being and, and designing programs and, and, and helping folks, that personalization, it just has to be a must. We're evolving to the hyper-personalization of health, health and well-being while also being efficient in our, and good stewards of our budgets. Right. Talk to us a little bit more about like on the personalization side of things, what you're seeing locked in and what you guys do there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our goal before COVID, during COVID, and now after COVID is, you know, when you have situations like COVID, which are extremely unfortunate, there's always lessons to be learned, right? And uh, we've done a, a lot of debriefing, you know, over the last year or so as we start to come out of the pandemic as to why were certain companies, either ourselves or other companies that we work with, why were some successful and actually thrived during the pandemic? And why did some, you know, really struggle and some just straight up economic things and sure. it wouldn't really matter how well defined your culture is or not. I mean, there's just certain pressures that didn't really help out a lot of groups, but the groups in aggregate that we saw perform very well were the ones that had really solid, sustainable cultures and had hired really good people that had the same values. Right. Um, and those organizations and I obviously biased, but I think Lockton is one of those organizations that actually thrived and performed really well during COVID because we have had such an emphasis on the well-being um, of our associates. And, you know, a lot of times organizations try to make things overly complicated. And that's one of the things I, I value the most about Lockton is, you know, it's we take care of our clients, we take care of our associates, and we take care of our communities, right? If we do those three things really, really well, Solid. guess that, what? Everything else seems to work seems out. Seems to work out, right? Yeah. All the other stuff is just details or whatever. So, and the thing that we found is that other organizations that have that same approach and have had that approach since their inception 
those companies actually thrive during COVID, that they could really empower their associates to do whatever they needed to do to take care of their families, take care of their communities, and ultimately take care of our clients, right? So, um, which was really challenging during that time frame. but we gave our associates a ton of flexibility and said, hey, this is totally new, but we've hired you, we've trained you, we've put you in the best position possible, in our opinion, to do what you've always done best, let's go do it. And fortunately, you know, we've grown double digits, you know, um, during the pandemic and no, no signs of slowing down. Stayed private too. And we've stayed private. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, you know, a big part of then what we've seen are those organizations who may not have been as culturally focused, right? Historically, they have done similar analysis and said, Hey, how come we're getting beat by potentially some of these other companies? And I think they're finding the same thing. So if they weren't already investing in the well-being of their associates, they're doubling down on that now because they realize that it's inevitable. We'll have another something pop up, right? And uh, the longer we wait to invest in our associates, the more risk we place on our business. So we've definitely seen a, a much higher focus from some groups historically that may have not wanted to invest there. And we've also won a lot of new business because we can speak to that very, very well not only from our own experience, but from what we've seen other companies do. And, and that's that engagement equation that, that, that we always talk about it. In the employee life cycle, there's recruiting, there's onboarding, there's engaging them in the benefits, there's engaging them in the culture. And what I loved about the last three to four years was that equation started to get even more. There are more variables, productivity, there's there's um, so many different variables in that equation. Jay, talk to me because we know we have the engagement equation, but when we bring all those things together. I'm always trying to figure out the impact that we can bring. ROI, we can show you some great, wonderful numbers. We contribute to that. We think about the value on investment. Where do you see that impact of that engagement equation coming together? For me, it's pretty widespread. I mean, Obviously, there is the, the hard ROI, which is the we helped you maintain risk status levels, right? Blood pressure, cholesterol levels, BMI, waist circumference. We helped you not get worse and some people get better. We can see, you know, 68% of our population is maintaining, uh, which is awesome. And that's a great place to start because that is a hard number that we can show out. But the equation itself is is growing, right? We can show you that employees that are engaged in the program or engaged in their workplace as a whole are performing better. And that's, that's where we want, to, we want to go. And that not only are they performing better and they're more productive, they're less likely to leave, they're less likely to be sick, they're less likely to take days off, which means they're living a healthier life. Hopefully there's you know, a balance there. But ultimately, where I'd like for us to be able to get to is to take that next step and show we've got all of these participants healthier and that the next step is that are the companies performing better. And I think there's, there's certainly a relation. That's one of the things we're going to be taking a look at coming up is, are these companies performing better because their culture is more engaged? And I think we can all assume that the answer is going to be yes. I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer if you're, you're the people that work for you are happier, are healthier, are more satisfied with their work. You know, then those results are going to prove out in the overall results of the organization. So that's one of the places we, I think we want to go with that. Spin on that a little bit because I think that the listeners will really like to hear about where it's going. But then going back to that hyper-personalization, where are you seeing 
those variables add up to the value that you can bring. Yeah, I think the engagement topic is, is very, very interesting, right? And engagement is obviously important, but to add on to what Jeremy said is, you know, we need to make sure they're engaging in the right things, right? So engagement just for engagement's sake doesn't work. And that's one of the reasons why we value our relationship so much is we think the things that you are getting people to engage in are potentially more impactful or meaningful maybe than some of the other options out in the marketplace, which I think is phenomenal. And again, we have the ability from our analytics to say, okay, not only do we have high engagement, are they engaged in the right things? Is that then having a, a meaningful impact on some of those other metrics that Jeremy uh, shared? So um, again, that's not the approach broadly, in my opinion, by the larger marketplace. It's all just straight up about engagement. And I think that you guys have done a good job of realizing that, yes, engagement is important, but they have to engage in the right things. And part of then that is those right things are becoming more personalized, right? That prior to probably the pandemic that, you know, you could probably get away with maybe a little bit more of a cookie cutter approach, right? Um, now people have different expectations, right? And they want things to be, I mean, they, they've experienced Amazon even more so, right? And being able to click on a button every 10 minutes or whatever and have something show up at their doorstep, right? Later that afternoon. So I think our customers, when I speak of customers, those end consumers, their expectations are increasing every single day. They want things to be quicker, faster, better, and hyper-personalized. So that engagement component in the right things is becoming even more important. So I think the biggest challenge we have is how do you scale that? How can you do that? How can you provide these people the things that they really do need, but do in a cost-effective way, right? So organizations who can figure that out and figure it out quickest are going to be the ones, in my opinion, that will be successful in a lot of different areas of their business, but even more so in how they can recruit and retain top talent. I can remember this day. This is this is almost three and a half years ago. We're sitting in a meeting and our HR mutual client of ours throws up on on the screen all their vendors. And it's like 46 different vendors, right? And we're looking at that and we're seeing where utilization is and came back and said, how can we be a bridge and personalize this for folks inside well-being? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you create that optimal pathway, right? How do we create that optimal pathway or even just remind them that they have these services available to them? <laughs> so going back, and that's where we, you know, our giant marker boards and, and created total health, and then being able to say, we're going to see a macro economy that's going to be different, and we're seeing that today, right? And it's going to be pretty tough probably for the next six, you know, 12, 18 months. So how can we be efficient and effective with the resources that we already have? And then how can we create a more personalized pathway for those individuals inside well-being? So a new NCQA certified survey of ours, um, leading them to the existing benefits after we do that, that, that audit. Jay, talk to us about a little bit. Every person is unique in their own way. Um, we always say you belong just the way you are here at Navigate. And so how can we help you? But something that aligns with well-being and how it's changed. Talk to me about that efficiency and, and, and effectiveness of, of what we've built within Total Health a little bit. Yeah. So I think the way to explain it best is to avoid talking about the, the general, right? We can market it in a certain way, but I think this is a great opportunity for us to say, how does it work and, and relate to someone really personally? It works by those 46 benefits. They're just living there. Every one of those vendors has their own engagement strategy. 
some of them are next to nothing. And some of them are advanced and, and robust and are going to meet people where they need to be. But they're all over the place and it's not cohesive and it's coming from the vendor and it's not coming from you, the HR professional. So when I think about total health, I think about it as a way to leverage a highly engaged product that's already embedded in your, into your culture to some extent. The key is there's already an incentive. There is a financial motivator for every one of those participants out there. It could be three or four or $500. We've seen them, you know, go, you go even higher than that. So there's a $300 reason to check out this benefit. So we work with the individual. We work with your company and say, what's important to you? What's important to your people? What are they saying? What do you have? And how can we get that in, in touch? So the more we learn about a participant, which we do through our platform and through their program that's already set up for them to do, we say, okay, great. Now we know enough about you to say, the CAP program over here is right for you. And now your well-being program is focused on mental health and anchored by talking to a health coach or talking to your EAP program or talking to your financial wellness vendor. And that's the secret sauce. That's the magic of total health is personalization done by understanding the participant and understanding the benefits and tying those together. And it seemed like a no-brainer when we were building it. Before we built it, it seemed like, how on earth are we going to make this happen at scale? But we figured it out and now we've got a way to introduce participants to a benefit that is just right for them. And we don't have to like integrate with those vendors. We can do it on our own. We can do it without having single sign-on or file feeds. They help, but it's a personalization play. And that's why I get so passionate about that is it's really going to help people understand. You know, we've got some mini case studies from some of our, some of our clients and we had a, a large health system in the, in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. And they, they came to us and they said, we want two things. We want people to go to their doctors. Great. Every, you know, we want that. And we have these benefits that people aren't utilizing. We've got two mental health vendors. We've got two physical activity vendors. We've got like eight or nine total. And generally speaking, no one knows about them and no one takes them up on them. So we said, okay, great. Let's build you a program around that. And that was it. And we drove more visits to those vendors than there are participants at the organization. So we were seeing spouses. We were seeing people go multiple Re times. Repeat customers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the power of something like Total Health. Earning the right to do more work with you. Yes. That, that's, that's the, I mean, that's the challenge. And I think that's the mindset. My grandfather owned a trucking company for 25 years. So every Saturday morning, my job was to sweep the floors and we'd have an old-fashioned donut and some coffee. I mean, that's why I still have them today. But when I think about transportation, I'm going to go there because I think about when those trucks weren't rolling, my grandfather would be high anxiety, stress, like it's not making money. Those trucks aren't rolling. But he had, he had drivers that were there for 10, 15, 20 years with him. When you think about transportation today, what are you guys doing uniquely around transportation and the folks hitting the road and, and those strategies for those companies? Well, first we know it's a highly competitive market, right? And there's a driver shortage, right? So there's a supply chain issue, supply and demand issue going on. So the drivers have a lot more, for lack of a better term, power than they've ever had before, right? And I think our transportation groups are learning that. And this, again, approach to hyper-personalization applies to them as much, if not more than anybody else, right? Why would I stay with you as an employer if I can go make, you know, an extra 
five cents a, a mile or, or, or extra, however much uh, per delivery, um, so on and so forth. So that's where really where we're working with the transportation groups. And each one is, is unique, right? That um, I think as much as we have a focus sometimes on industry verticals, we still have to understand that each uh, company within that is going to have some nuances sure. to that, right? And if we can be really focused on some of those nuances and be efficient in all the other areas, then it allows us to be hyper-personalized for the client. And then that allows them to be hyper-personalized uh, for that driver. But one area that we've really spent a lot of time on that particular space is, you know, as this driver population gets older, they are developing additional chronic conditions. They are challenged. It's a tough, it's a tough it's job. A, man. It is a tough job. It's a tough and job. Yeah. You know, um, particularly for the long haul, yeah. you know, folks, um, just creates a lot of very unique challenges. So we, we've developed a, what we call locked in nurse advocate um, to really interact with those drivers on a very personalized basis. And we've prioritized who they speak with and when they speak with these individuals based off the length of their, of their DOT certs. Right. So that is something that they value a lot, right? That uh, they can't just change companies if they don't pass their DOT cert or if they're on a short cert, they can't just hop companies. That's the thing that really kind of ties them to the industry. Um, so we know that that's what their collateral is. And if we can help those individuals pass their DOT physicals in a more efficient way, first of all, help them, you know, make sure that they're in a state where they can pass that, but also the length of that cert is really important. And that allows them to focus on other parts of their life and not have to be worried about, you know, am I going to pass my DOT cert? You know, it's coming up in six months and 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 things like that. So that's how I make a living. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, what matters more than anything else uh, there? So uh, that has kind of this built in incentive. And, and we've been very successful in that space, helping those drivers. And fortunately, our nurses, because they built such a great relationship with those drivers, they hear a lot of things, right? And they are, without breaching any confidentiality, they can share things with those employer groups like, hey, you implemented XYZ policy or program or whatever a few weeks ago. Do you want to know how your drivers took that? Mm -hmm. Right. In some situations, it's great. It's like you get really good feedback. And that was a change they should have made 10 years ago type thing to why on earth did they do, do they not realize how much more challenging that's going to make our lives now? And we can give that uh, feedback back to the organization. And we have several that are running certain decisions by the nurses, right, before they make final decision, because they want to really have some insight as to how this is going to impact the livelihood of the drivers who are the lifeblood of their organization, right? So not only does it help that driver immediately, but they are collecting feedback kind of more broadly as they go. And that is helping those uh, employers make better decisions that are going to, again, help the drivers out. And it goes back to listening, right? Right. They're and great it, listeners. They, they, and, and listening and then actually putting some things into action. We talk about using data for good, um, rather that be clinical data, rather that be cultural data, rather that be um, social determinants of health data. When you think about using data for good, talk to us about where you're seeing an emphasis perhaps today, maybe in the future of where using that data for good might, might go. Yeah, we um, continuously invest in technology and data analytics um, for the purpose of helping our clients out, right? And a big part of that is trying to leverage the data for good in the aspect of who's going to develop that next chronic condition, who's going to become that next high cost claimant, 
what type of interventions can we do to help that individual from progressing to a less favorable risk status, right? That's really hard to do, but that's something that drives us every single day because one, we care about that individual. We want the quality of their life to be as high as possible for as long as possible. But we also know that that's going to have a tremendous impact financially on the organizations that we support. So the better job we can do at identifying who these individuals are that have progressing risk and being able to help support them and in some situations hold them accountable to performing a little bit better, holding them accountable to maybe seeing their physician more frequently or getting that lab done that they've uh, put off, that ultimately we know that's going to be best for the individual. And sometimes getting them to that point can be challenging. It's no different than parenting kids, right? But at the end of the day, they are going to have better outcomes. The organization is going to perform better financially. And, you know, fortunately, most of the groups that we work with are reinvesting those dollars, right? So they're not just padding the bottom line. They're taking any of those savings or that cost avoidance that we're able to capture for them. And they're reinvesting that back in the program, right? Incentives, reward, recognition. Additional resources, right? I mean, we have a lot of groups who said, you know, uh, pre-pandemic, we just don't have the budget dollars to invest in maybe a more or in an EAP or a, a more robust EAP. And now they're like, well, we have to do this, right? And it's kind of like, well, we've done all these things for you. And guess what? Now you have this extra pool of money to be able to draw from. And they're like, oh, this is the greatest thing. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that while I'm a, you know, a vice president or senior vice president with Lockton and lead our team, I still have a book of business I consult with. I was actually just before here meeting with a group and I was in Omaha yesterday meeting with a group. And, you know, it, it's interesting that in my experiences over particularly this uh, spring that there's one transportation group that made a pretty significant investment about five years ago in some of the things that we're talking about. And they have done a really good job of maintaining their healthy population, better dressing their at-risk population. And they're in a pretty favorable spot right now. There's another transportation group that I've worked with who had the opportunity five years to go to do some of these things and has not. I had to have a very challenging conversation with them recently about, hey, we're kind of in a spot that is not ideal. And I hate to say we could have and should have done these things three, five years ago, but that's reality. Every single day that goes by that you don't make an investment, the clock's just ticking, right? You're, you're, you're limiting your options as you continue to go. If you want to be able to have these options, or potentially more options in the future, you're going to have to make an investment at some point in time. And the, again, the longer it takes for you to do that, the fewer options we're going to have and the worse it's going to get. So, you know, help me help you in, in, in the words of Jerry Maguire, right? <laughs> Effective and efficient use and stewardship of our dollars. And I know those are tough decisions, right? So I'm not being hypercritical of that group, but I think they finally have gotten to the point where there's enough pain right? And they've seen how things have contracted and they've kind of gotten themselves into a little bit of a bind or whatever. And fortunately, there is a pathway out of it, but they are going to have to make a pretty significant investment in their people um, in order to do that. Um, When you think about some things that clients are thinking about now, specialty pharmacy, maybe some of these, you know, the the obesity medications, like where do you go with that, Todd, and having those conversations with folks? Well, the obesity topic in and of itself is kind of something, again, we could spend two or three hours uh, discussing. I mean, there's just so many layers to that onion, right? Um, We start to have the conversation of, and it usually starts off around, well, hey, how come we just don't start covering these drugs? It sounds like a great thing, right? It's like, hey, you pop a pill and you lose weight, right? Easy peasy. Well, it's not that magic pill. Yeah, it's it's not that easy. I mean, I think if these drugs were 
free or low cost would be one thing. But when we think about the annual cost of most of these medications, we're looking at somewhere between twelve and $18,000 per year, right? And an employer's like, oh, well, yeah, that's a lot of money. But if it's going to help these people, why wouldn't we do that? And I'm kind of like, well, we had this conversation three or four years ago around bariatric surgery, and you decided you didn't want to do that, and the cost is the same. So why are you now open to the idea from a pharmaceutical perspective? Basically, in my opinion, it's a chemical form of bariatric surgery. And if we've learned anything from the bariatric surgery side of things is that there's a huge behavioral health component to it, right? That a lot of these individuals who are morbidly obese have tried a lot of things, but you know, a lot of times they will have a food addiction. And if you're not addressing that component, we help them first there. Right, exactly. We have to get them in a good spot. There's a lot of prerequisites that people go through before they can go through a bariatric procedure perspective. Like maybe we ought to start to do some of those things associated with the obesity meds, you know? Even though this is very new, the initial data that's coming in is that these individuals, you know, once they stop taking the medications, their weight returns very, very quickly. In fact, it not only comes back, but comes back more, just like a lot of other weight loss uh, programs. But what we're already starting to hear is the psychological impact of that. Of, sure. Oh, I took this medication. I was looking good. I was feeling good. I was fitting into pants that I haven't been able to fit in forever, whatever. I stopped taking the medication. Now I ballooned back up to where I was at before. That plays on people's psyche, right? Um, but if you peel it back even further, so let's say people take these medications, they're going to have to potentially stay on them for an extended period of time. They lose a lot of weight. Well, when you lose a lot of weight, you have still a lot of excess skin, right? So these individuals now are coming and saying, okay, in addition to now paying for my medications, surgery. are you going to pay for my surgery, right? And we go back to the bariatric topic. Employers that were not paying for bariatric surgery, we're finding a lot of those people have gone to across uh, the border and had a procedure done, have complications, then come back and expect their employers to pay for it. So there is no silver bullet to this. And uh, we work with clients to kind of go through a very systematic discussion, say, what are we trying to solve for? Okay, how do we want to approach these things? And here's a a systematic way to go through this. And if you're not willing to do each one of these things, this approach is probably not going to be sustainable, right? And you can go do whatever you want to do. We get started here first. Right, exactly. Then take the next step, take the next step and really kind of laser beam that instead of just the magic pill. Yeah. Right. Jay, where, where's your head go when it comes to thinking about managing risks of individuals, but then also making sure that it's culturally connected to the organization and, and the communication and, and the whole culture of the organization? For me, I think back to the personalized approach to it, that the solution or the, the option for your well-being program, what's going to drive culture for you is going to be different than what drives culture for someone else, that you've got to have some options there. You've got to have maybe going down a path of bariatric surgery is right for someone maybe addressing a mental health challenge is right for someone, maybe diving into financial, you know, financial literacy or student loan forgiveness or whatever. I think that the approach is different from every person and that the, you know, if there's one thing I would want people to take away from this is that when we talk about holistic well-being, holistic benefit approach, it's that we got to have a lot of solutions and we've got to have a way to drive people to all of those solutions. When I hear you doing your ultra marathons, man, I love you, brother, but I'm like, my lens just doesn't go there. And that's what makes us both unique, right? But when I think about that, I think about how we're trying to support and engage folks, right? We're trying 
to engage in their purpose. That's a purpose, um, I'm not gonna say hobby because it's more than a hobby for you, but <laughs> it's a purpose-driven piece of you, right? I think it's, everybody has to find something that keeps them centered, right? Yeah, it's and a, that, it's that a mental me, challenge, yeah, right? For me, that's something I need to do just to keep me grounded and centered, And it, but everybody has something like that, right? Mine may be kind of extreme and kind of out of left field or whatever, but yeah, I think that that's important. It's physical. To find, yeah. It's nutrition. It's mental. You're obviously, you're investing some time. So I'll say an energy in the financial side of that too. But yeah. wrapping that all together is, for me, it's just thinking about how we connect people to what matters and focusing on our people first. And if we do it in a genuine way, then I think that there's a loyalty that is created that's how we retain our best and our brightest. Talk about our health systems right now, re retaining our, our best and our brightest nurses. And, and, you know, we can't afford the traveling nurse another three years. We just can't. Our health systems can't take that. Todd, if you were to talk to our audience and give them any words of advice or any uh, prognostications about what's coming down the road, what would you want everybody out there to know? Um, I think probably the most important thing that I've learned over the years and, and obviously reinforced uh, as we're starting to come out of the pandemic is things are gonna change, right? And I think they're only gonna change faster, right? And, and so I would really encourage people just to embrace the change, have an open mindset, don't have a fixed mindset, leverage your resources, right? I mean, I think with uh, the w way the world is today, there are a lot of really good people, a lot of good, really good resources out, out there. Don't think that this is something that you have to solve for yourself right that's what i value about our relationship is that there's random things that come up you know and i'll call troy or jeremy and say hey i'm working on blah 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 totally out of this field or whatever and you know somebody always knows somebody right um so really rely on your community and, and invest in that you know that was something that i kind of had to internally uh come to grips with about 10 years ago that i was so hyper focused on my family and maybe work that I really wasn't super connected with my community at that point in time. And I woke up one day and realized it was just like, you know, got whacked over the head, man, right? And it's I was just, just like, factor. God, I've got all these relationships, but they're not kind of formulating in the way that are meaningful for me or my family or community. And there's just so much more that I could do. And the more I got invested in those type things, it was just these natural connections of things started to work themselves out, right? Um, so, and sometimes it can be a pain, right? We all live a very busy life, but if you can prioritize those type of things and prioritize your network of people and lean into that network, um, sky's the limit, right? And uh, I see, unfortunately, some people, when they do deal with a lot of change or conflict or whatever it is that they have a tendency maybe to hibernate or kind of close off, that's the absolute last thing you should do, right? Embrace it, start to look around, Think about the people that you know or the people you've interacted with who've gone through something similar or can help you move past whatever that is. And the sooner you can do that, the better. So that'd be my advice. And, and one of the reasons why I value you guys so much is because you're one of my, you know, my trusted advisory groups as well. As, as much as I want to be a trusted advisor for folks, I have to have really good advisors as well. And, and both of you are two of my uh, most trusted advisors. So I appreciate you bringing me on the show today. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for being here. And yeah. I, I tell you, man, we... We've done some fun work together and it's, it's evolved, man. It's evolved. And we're just from, starting. We're just starting. <laughs> it, it's it's fun to see. And, and speaking of other fun things, you guys know we close our, our podcast with um, our segment called The Best Day Ever. 
Todd, you, I love wearing vests. You see me in vests all the time. So <laughs> it's kind of a running joke, obviously, at the office. And um, we always like to explain a segment saying that we just want to hear something, something good. Um, share something that maybe is a good success story on your part, your family. I'll kick it off this week and give an example. So like all these numbers are in now, like official numbers. And being a family that loves basketball, that where my mom is the best athlete in our entire family, who is a basketball player and having a daughter and, and obviously a wife, you know, to see a couple months ago, the most watched NCAA tournament game ever, um, the most attended NCAA tournament ever for our women's basketball, seeing my nephews go crazy and watching the games, especially the University of Iowa, obviously being in the national championship. It was just awesome feeling and seeing how many people kind of took notice of women's basketball. What's kind of fun on my part is like, we, like we've known in Iowa how we support women's basketball. Like the University of Iowa and Iowa State are in the top five attendance for like the last five to seven years. And so they've always been supported that way. But to see the nation jump on board and see, I mean, it's amazing. It was awesome. And it just to kind of see, I, the, the thing that really, it was great was my nephew, who's 12, was like telling his dad, my brother saying like, I, I want to go to the game. And he's like, all right, let's go. And so my, my 12 year old nephew and my brother get on down to Dallas and they just had a ball. Now I didn't win, but when I think about a 12-year-old little boy being inspired by all those wonderful young ladies playing the game that he loves, it was just one of the most positive things and probably the best day ever of seeing that. And then the numbers are in. The revenue's there. People are engaging. It's like, it's, it's just going to get better. And that's just one of the best things I, I, I've seen. And being someone that loves basketball and, again, a mom that, that has has drilled into to me that the wonderfulness of, of team sports and everything like that. It's just, it was, it, it was awesome. It was just great to see. And um, it still puts a smile on my face 60 days later. So that's my best day ever. Not bad. That's a good one. Solid. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, what do you got, buddy? I'm going sideways a little bit. I'm saying best day ever is dogs. Um, <laughs> top of mind for me is, and, and I say that because our dog's under the weather right there. Mm. He's he's got a little touch of pneumonia. He's been battling oh. for a while, and and my wife, you know, had priorities at work and said, I have got to go take care of my family. And uh, you know, he's doing better. She's you know took him to the vet, and he's home, and she's t she's loving on him. And yesterday we had uh, two different dogs in the office. We had Gus and Molly, a couple of goldens. <laughs> um, so for me, it's dogs. Best day ever is dogs. Deal. So, I'm, am I bringing it home? Yeah, bring it home. I'll bring it bring home. home. So, uh, I'd have to say my kids. I've always been a really proud dad. There's obviously some days that are challenging, right? But uh, I'm very fortunate to have uh, twin boys who are getting ready to graduate from high school. And man, if you would have told me my kids were getting ready to graduate from high school, you know, 18 years ago, I thought you were crazy or whatnot. But uh, to see them be successful, it's really cool to see them become the best versions of themselves that they really can be. And huge credit, obviously, to my wife, who's probably done a lot more of the heavy lifting than my daughter's right behind them as well and starting to look at her college options uh, for next year uh, for the 2024 uh, class, I guess you could say. So, uh, yeah, that I've got three teenagers that are all doing well. Um, That's a journey, man. And today's society awesome. is pretty cool. And there's always these uh, big uh, senior trips right now that are out there. And 
my boys wanted to go on spring break with with the family and instead of going to you know a resort or whatever and we had a great time down in, in florida uh one of my sons loves to play golf so he got to play golf my other son loves uh star wars is a big star wars geek so we took him to uh uh, universe or Hollywood studios, um, to see all the star Wars stuff. And my daughter loves hockey. So we got to go see a, a hockey game. And then nice. we happened to be in town for, uh, the Valspar, uh, championship. So we went and watched professional golf. So, I mean, we it's just a personalization vacation. It yeah. was, you know, um, but it is, I would say it's not probably what the typical teenagers probably do, um, for spring break these days. So that, I thought that was a pretty big, pretty big win for our family that I feel like, uh, we're not perfect by any means, but that we've got some kids who are already starting to make some pretty good life decisions makes makes me feel uh, pretty proud to be their dad. Yeah. Congratulations. And that they, Congrats, wanted, that they wanted to hang out with me of all people, you know, yeah. uh, it was, was pretty cool. I think your dad was on a podcast. You can like show him. It's yeah. like, hey, fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Guys, it's been great. Thanks for the time, the energy. Thank you, everybody who's listening in, subscribing. Continue to, to let us know what you want to talk about. Um, we hope we brought value to you today. Our purpose is pretty simple. We're here to do good things for other people. And we hope uh, that we're connecting you to things that matter. One last thing, thank you to all the Navigate Do-Gooders. Really appreciate what you do for one another and for all the other folks that are in our industry and the clients that we work for. You guys are wonderful. Love you all and appreciate all that you do for others. Thanks so much. This is Navigate's People First podcast. Thanks for joining us.